Nothing better for a preacher before a sermon to have a couple of young men send him wishes of good luck and God's blessing. I treasure that. Today is Patriot Day, the 21st anniversary of the terrorist attacks of Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001. As has been mentioned already, Kelly mentioned that day, the JFK assassination day in 1963. Some of you remember 1941 and Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th. You know, the millennials among us on 9-11 of 2001, the oldest of the millennial generation were college age, many younger. The Gen Z generation, a lot of our kids, the Gen Z generation, the oldest of them were preschool. The majority of them had not even been born on 9-11 of 2001. On that day, both of the World Trade Center towers in New York City were destroyed and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. damaged. A fourth plane uh, crashed in the Washington, D.C. area. A fourth plane crashed in a Pennsylvania field when passengers bravely fought back against the Islamic terrorists on board, sacrificing their lives rather than allow the terrorists to carry out their plan. Let's roll, they said. Nearly 3,000 people died in those attacks. Actually more than died at the hands of the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. Joyce and I were living in Arlington at that time. As already has been said, anyone who was alive at that time and old enough to remember remembers where you were and what you were doing. It was early on a Tuesday morning, and um, I was on my way to the church office in Arlington, Texas. And after getting there, we watched on television uh, the reports. And when that second plane hit, uh, we knew that, um, that it was uh, something that was specific. Let's hold off on the slides just yet, please. And, um, and so... You knew exactly uh, what was going on, and you knew exactly that this was something that was uh, deliberate. And you knew that we were at war, whatever that looked like. My sermon on September 16th, the following Sunday, changed, of course. Everything changed. I entitled my sermon that day, Living in a Different World. Urging us to trust in the Lord. Urging us to pray without ceasing. Urging us to live our lives. And not let those terrorists have that. About that time, well, actually a month or two later, Alan Jackson wrote a song that was played... Um, within a couple of months of 9-11 at the Country Music Association Award Show on November 7th. And so as we look at these slides, I would like to read the words of that song. If you watched that show 
and you watched that first public performance of Alan Jackson with his guitar and with a, the orchestra behind him singing, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? Then you were touched. Okay, let's start that slide presentation. Where were you when the world stopped turning that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in L.A.? Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Did you shout out in anger, in fear for your neighbor, or did you just sit down and cry? Did you weep for the children? They lost their dear loved ones. Pray for the ones who don't know. Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble and sob for the ones left below? Did you burst out with pride for the red, white, and blue and the heroes who died just doing what they do? Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer and look at yourself and what really matters? I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus, and I talk to God. And I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things He gave us. And the greatest is love. Where were you when the world stopped turning that September day? Teaching a class full of innocent children or driving down some cold interstate? Did you feel guilty because you're a survivor? In a crowded room, did you feel alone? Did you call up your mother and tell her you love her? Did you dust off that Bible at home? Did you open your eyes and hope it never happened? Close your eyes and not go to sleep. Did you notice the sunset for the first time in ages and speak to some stranger on the street? Did you lay down at night and think of tomorrow, go out and buy you a gun? Did you turn off that violent old movie you're watching and turn on I Love Lucy reruns? Did you go to a church and hold hands with some strangers, stand in line to give your own blood Did you just stay home and cling tight to your family? Thank God you had somebody to love. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus, and I talk to God, and I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things He gave us. And the greatest is love. And the greatest is love. As Kelly shared earlier, after that attack and the numbness uh, that we felt and the shock that we felt initially, there was a sense of hope. There was a sense of unity. There was a sense of oneness, of purpose, of kindness, of concern, of prayer and devotion to God and to church. 
How can we be hopeful in such a dangerous, cynical world? As we look back 21 years ago on 9-11, as we think of other devastating events in our nation's history, but also our world history that we perhaps never felt, how can we be hopeful in such a dangerous, cynical world as we watch the news? I recommend you not watch it very long. (laughs) How can we be hopeful in such a dangerous, cynical world? Where such evil clearly exists. The psalmists give us the answer. And it's this simple statement. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. That statement is mentioned three times in Psalms 42 and 43. Which perhaps originally was one psalm. And you know that psalm because it begins... Uh, with the song that we'll sing at our invitation time today. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The scripture, Psalm 121, that Nathan read at the beginning of our service, reminds us to not trust in the hills or in the armies or in the nation, but to put our hope in God. As our shepherd David Wick shared from the New Testament in Philippians and Romans, we pray again. We trust in the Lord. We pray without ceasing. We live our lives. And that's just as true today. Today, more than ever, we need a reminder to not give up hope. And so this morning, I want to share several things about that hope that makes it worthwhile to hold on to. That in the midst of all of this, we can put our hope in God. So let's talk for just a few moments about our steadfast hope. First of all, it is a living hope. It is a living hope. These words from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving The end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Through him, verse 24, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Our hope is a living hope because the tomb is empty. Our hope is a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's why it is absolutely, completely, 100% appropriate for us to meet 
with fellow Christians around the community as our Young at Heart group did and to have a joyful, wonderful time together and to share that moment with all of our church family today that's here gathered and that's watching online. Why? Because our hope is a living hope. It's a hope that cannot be taken away from anyone or any nation or any army or any tragedy. Our hope is a living hope because the tomb is empty. Secondly, ours is a waiting hope. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Both of these passages of Scripture affirm our living hope and our waiting hope. And they do that in a way that says we're not realized that hope yet. In fact, right now our lives are difficult. And there is suffering. And there is evil. And there is loss. And there are tears. And so this is a hope that has not yet been realized. We don't already have it fulfilled. But it is our waiting hope. We wait. Thirdly, the promise of hope. This one is taken from Lamentations chapter 3 in the Old Testament. If you're following with the daily Bible reading, you've been in Jeremiah and Lamentations and some other passages that stem from the time right around 600 B.C. when the Babylonians were threatening the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah had been there for decades and he had been preaching and proclaiming, this is from God, we need to surrender, we are not going to win this war. God is going to use this evil empire to punish his people because of our sins. And the best thing you can do is surrender and go over to the Babylonians and that way your life will be spared. Not a popular message, just as it wouldn't be today. And so Jeremiah faced lots of persecution over those decades. And then he watched as the gate was destroyed and the walls were torn down and the, the wonderful palace that King David had built was destroyed and the amazing temple that King Solomon had built was burned to the ground. And throughout the Lamentations, it is exactly that, a lament that laments the misery and the hurt and the pain and the death and the suffering that he saw all around him at the time. But in the midst of that lament, there is a message of hope. There is the promise of hope. Lamentations 3, beginning at verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Have you heard those words before? Have you sung that song recently? Just a few moments ago. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are what? New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Written from this message, from this moment of suffering. Because of the promise of hope. Another one of our songs. Great is thy faithfulness. Taken from this passage as well. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. The promise of hope. Number four is the anchor of hope. The anchor of hope in Hebrews chapter 6. The book of Hebrews begins with Jesus ascending to the throne room of the Father. The ultimate holy of holies with the ultimate sacrifice the sacrifice of blood, His own blood. Hebrews 6, verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, talking about his promise and his oath, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, verse 19, as an anchor For the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And so the anchor is used, as you know, on a ship to go down to the ground is possible to give the ship stability so that it won't just go everywhere with the storm and the waves and the wind. But in this case, the anchor goes up. The anchor goes up to the very throne room of God, to heaven itself. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, as the old song says. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. That is the anchor of hope. And it's set with great power and stability in heaven itself at the feet of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Number five is the witness of hope. The witness of hope. In 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
Live with hope. Live with joy. Live with love. Live with assurance. It doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. The first couple of passages we looked at affirmed that that suffering is here and will continue. But that suffering doesn't give us our hope. Our hope is much firmer than that. It's much more eternal than that. And when we live that way, there is the witness of hope. Just as Donnie shared with us, we are meant to attract people. I loved it when you said that, brother. We are meant to attract people. And that is exactly right. How exactly do we do that? Well, before a word is ever shared, pointing them to the Bible, pointing them to the church, we live it in front of them. And how exactly do we live? We live with hope. And the crazy thing is, the more hopeless and cynical and difficult our surroundings are, the greater that witness is. People are starving for hope today. They're not starving for argument about politics. They're not starving for arguments about other things. They can get that a thousand different places, as you know. What they're starving for is to see someone living with hope in their lives. That is the witness of hope. And when we do that, they will ask, how can you live with hope? And we're ready to give them the reason for the hope that we have. And that reason is Jesus Christ. That reason is an empty tomb. That reason is the blood that we celebrated a few moments ago as we remembered the cleansing power that we received from it. The witness of hope. Finally, number six, the hope of glory. This great passage in Colossians 1, beginning at verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ah, marvelous. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And just as Peter affirmed that we live out this hope and people ask us and we tell them where it comes from, verses 28 and 29 continue in Colossians 1. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It is Christ working in you. It is Christ who gives you the hope with which you live. It is Christ who enables you to live that out in front of others who don't share that hope. And it is Christ who empowers you to be ready to answer When someone asks, where does this hope come from? Our steadfast hope. I have one more slide to show you. It's a special one to me. You can see it in my office. It's of a poster from the Marine Corps Marathon on October 28, 2001, about six weeks or so after 9-11 happened. It was my first marathon. Joyce and I had been planning, I had been training, 
and, um, and we were going to go, and then 9-11 happened. We had been working with um, uh, a group called the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They helped tr- people train for different athletic events and other events as a fundraiser, and so we raised money for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and they helped me get ready for my first marathon. Trained with a group, had a coach and a mentor, and then 9-11 happened. And we thought, should we go? We're going to be flying into Washington, D.C. Are they even going to have the event? And after a while, we heard, yes, the event is going to go on, and we determined without any flinching or without any question that we would go. We would be there. We flew into Reagan National, which had only been opened since October 4th. And let me tell you, on that plane ride, we were conscious of everybody else that was on that plane. Can I just say that? And everything that they were doing. And they told us when we got on the plane, we don't care how badly you have to go. You don't get up on this flight. So you better take care of whatever you need to take care of before we lock the door. Because nobody gets up. We were flying into Washington, D.C. That marathon was amazing. Again, it was the Marine Corps marathon, so there were Marines everywhere. Started and ended at the Iwo Jima Monument. <laughs> and, I, and we remember a lot of things from that trip, but we remember especially the businesses and the people from the moment we landed, really from the moment we got on the plane. All we heard was, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not being afraid so much that you canceled. The business owners in D.C. had been devastated. And now here were some tourists, some people, spending some of their money, and they were so appreciative, so very grateful. On this particular poster, you'll notice... On the um, right, in the middle, you see smoke. Because the artist changed their plan after 9-11. Even though the event was only six weeks away, they changed their plan. And so they added in a few Marines up at the front. And the Marines were the ones that gave us our water at the water breaks. The Marines were the ones who were flying around in this helicopter... It made me feel very secure, very grateful. But you'll notice on that part of the poster that there's the Pentagon and there's the damage and it's smoking from being damaged. And I remember running that marathon and I remember running right by the Pentagon. We ran by all of the monuments Not as closely as we had hoped, but ran by them. And I remember several things, but I remember running by the Pentagon, and I remember that the fence was up, the chain link fence, and then it was blocked in in addition to that, so you couldn't see through it. And as we ran by the Pentagon, we looked on the other side of the fence, and there must have been a soldier, a a Marine, standing on top of one of those big 55-gallon drums, because all we saw above the high fence was this American flag being waved. And somebody must have done that through the whole thing because I was toward the end. (laughs) 
And there they were. And every time we ran under a bridge or anywhere that echoed, (laughs) no matter how tired you were, no matter how winded you were, as you went, you went, USA, USA, USA. It was just the most amazing thing I'd ever experienced. You see, even in the midst of devastation, we can have hope. We felt it as a nation, as has been said. I remember in Arlington, Texas, we were in the flight line of DFW, one of the, most, one of the busiest airports in the world. And I remember how eerie it was when it was shut down for a few days and I was out running and there was no air traffic. Only silence. God doesn't shield us from the bad things that happen in this world. He's never promised that. He's never affirmed that. Throughout the Bible, we read just the opposite, including some of the passages we read today about hope. Because our steadfast hope isn't dependent upon all those things. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This morning, if you want to put your hope in the only one who can give it for eternity, come as we stand and sing our song together.